apparently the Christmas song, sung by who? Sung by, famously sung by Nat King Cole in 1946. It's a classic and I'm really surprised if you haven't heard that one, the Christmas song. It's a classic and I can see why it's a classic. After all, it encapsulates the very spirit of Christmas for most people. Listen to this and you'll see what I mean. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight. Why do you think that is? The song goes on to say, they know that Santa's on his way. There you have it, the Christmas song. Santa is on his way and he'll be coming down chimneys next, uh, when's Christmas? Thursday, Friday, isn't it? So he'll be coming down the chimneys on Thursday night or the chimbleys if you're one of those little toddlers, one of those tots. As for grown-ups, Christmas is a time to have a few days off work, fair enough. To eat, perhaps a little bit too much. To drink, perhaps a little bit too much. As you enjoy some time with family, with friends. Party, have some party games. I'm not knocking any of this, by the way. We all need to have some recreational time and time together, family and friends. It's, it is good. And, of course, to watch some of those Christmas movies. It would, however, be a terrible shame and a tragic tragedy of epic and everlasting proportions if this Christmas passes without you knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, whose birth is commemorated by, by people in a very special way at this time of the year. I say in a special way, as a Christian, for me, um, commemorating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ isn't limited to just once a year. No reason why it should be. But the fact of the matter is that we do commemorate the birth of Jesus in a very special way at this time of the year, every year. This evening, concerning the coming of Jesus into the world, we shall consider Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. If you'd like to turn to that again, we, we just listened to the passage a few minutes ago. Stephen read the first verses there. The first seven verses. And it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. I was talking this morning about prophecy, Old Testament prophecy. And I'm sure you'll remember that the prophecy of Isaiah is over 700 years old. And it all points to a fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the prophecies of Isaiah. It's all about Jesus, um, but we're just going to focus on the very first verse there again. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. 
I'm very keen to, to look for the Lord Jesus Christ, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. As far as I'm concerned, and I'm right in saying this, the Bible is about Jesus. And, but we have to be a little bit careful. We can't necessarily ascribe every single thing that we read in the Old Testament to a fulfilment in Christ, obviously. But this we can. And I said that this is a, a prophecy... Um, that has its fulfilment in Jesus, Isaiah 42. And I can say that without any fear of being wrong because the New Testament itself confirms that this is a prophecy of Jesus. For your information, Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1 is... Uh, you'll find it also in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 18. And it's clearly about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is confirmed to be the servant, the elect servant spoken of in the prophecy. First of all, in verse 1 here, we see, Behold my servant, behold my servant, That is Almighty God proclaiming the coming of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The passage starts with the word, behold. I do like that word, behold, in the King James Bible. It's a word that is used whenever some great pronouncement is about to be made. And you know when you see that word, behold, hang on to your seat and be prepared for what's going to follow. Something great usually follows that word behold. For example, when John the Baptist heralded the coming of Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 29, he said, Behold, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That was an amazing statement, and the Jews, they would have understood very well what John the Baptist was saying there. He was connecting the Old Testament with the New. Behold the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb, which taketh away the sin of the world. A tremendous statement. In Revelation chapter 1, when the Apostle John saw the Lord Jesus Christ, many years after his ascension to heavenly glory, when he saw, when John was in the Spirit, and he had a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, he fell at his feet as dead. However, Jesus laid his right hand upon John and said to him, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. That's the great statement that follows. It's all great, isn't it? But behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. The word behold precedes that great declaration from Jesus that having died for sinners, he is alive forevermore. In Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 1, God refers to Jesus as his servant. Behold my servant. Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world 
about 2,000 years ago, veiled in flesh. Whilst never ceasing to be God, he nevertheless came as a man and he came as a lowly servant. As the Son of God, Jesus is equal with God in glory, in majesty. However, as a servant, he made himself of no reputation. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. He came to serve and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, where he laid down his life to pay the price for sin. It doesn't get any lower than that, does it? From being in heaven above, the Lord of glory, you would look at, for example, at Psalm 24, uh, a psalm that I think of every day, pretty much, a lovely psalm. Who is the King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle? Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. It's about Jesus, he is the King of glory. And yet he came down from his glory into this dark world of sin. And he laid down his life when he was lifted up to die upon a cross wearing a crown of thorns. But it was for that reason that he came into this world to save sinners, to pay the price for sin. Looking again at Isaiah 42 verse 1. We're slowly getting through this verse. Behold my servant whom I uphold. Whom I uphold. That means that God the Father upheld and supported his son in his work of saving lost sinners. The way that God did that is given further on in the verse where it is written, I have put my spirit upon him. We see that also in verse 1. I have put my spirit upon him. In the Old Testament, when priests were set about to serve God, they were anointed with oil upon their heads. However, when Jesus was set apart to serve his Father, the Holy Spirit descended upon him at the time of his baptism. All of God's servants are anointed with the Holy Spirit in some measure, and that includes every Christian. I've already said earlier on that uh, if you're a Christian, you have a message for uh, a world which is heading for destruction. You have a message. And I, I would say, I would suspect that the devil would love it if you always just... Uh, relied upon your actions as a Christian and don't get me wrong if you are a Christian people ought to be challenged by the life that you live a life that is lived soberly, righteously and godly in this present age but ultimately you have a message for people whether it's your neighbours, your friends work colleagues, people at school and as such as such You have that anointing, just like the priests of the Old Testament, because if you're a Christian, you are a priest of the Most High God.
However, Jesus was anointed by the Spirit without measure. We see also in verse 1 that Jesus is the elect of God. In other words, he, God chose him to come into the world to save sinners. He chose Jesus, he chose his son to come into the world. The Lord Jesus Christ was chosen in eternity and he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Something I I emphasised this morning and I'll do it again. God didn't just have some, he didn't have some kind of knee-jerk reaction to the way things are going in this world. God chose his son in eternity before he even um, began his work of creating. Jesus was chosen to come into this world to lay down his life as a sacrifice for sin. Since Jesus was chosen and none other, it follows that there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. That's I'm quoting there, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. That no other name whereby we must be saved, not might be saved, but must be that emphasises the importance of it. Trusting in Jesus, the, the, the one, the only one who was chosen by God to be the saviour for sin. We must be saved through faith in him. And all who receive Jesus as their saviour from sin and believe on his name are themselves the elect of God. They are the elect of God in Christ Jesus. Through faith in, in Christ Jesus, we find that we too, if you're a Christian, you too were chosen before the foundation of the world for salvation. And in the fullness of time, Jesus saved you from your sins. Jesus, who was chosen by his Father to come into this world as the Saviour. Back to our verse here, Isaiah 42.1 Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. In whom my soul delighteth. God delights in his Son. The closeness of the relationship between God the Father and his only begotten Son is captured, I think it's captured very much in John Chapter 1, verse 18, where we read that no man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And at the baptism of Jesus, a voice from heaven declared, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when the face of Jesus shone like the sun and his clothes were as white as light, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. We're to hear Jesus and we hear him in his word. We're to be hearers of Jesus and doers of his word.
hearers and doers. From conception to his death at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ always did the will of his Father who elected him and who sent him. Surely Jesus never stopped being in the bosom of his Father and he never stopped being loved by his Father, even and especially when he was nailed to a cross and lifted up to die for those he came to save. And remember, when Jesus was lifted up to die for sinners, it pleased the Father to bruise him. God laid upon his Son our iniquity, or at least your iniquity if you are trusting in Jesus. And all that happened there was in accordance with the Father's good pleasure. So I say again, surely Jesus never stopped being in the bosom of the Father. He never stopped being loved by his Father. And as for you, if you trust in Jesus, you too will know something of that love of God for you. I mentioned it just the other day. It's a love that didn't just happen at the cross. It's a love that was manifest at the cross. At the cross, Greatest act of love ever was manifest at the cross. However, that manifestation of the love of God for you, dear Christian, is an everlasting love. And with cords of loving kindness, God drew you to his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, in verse 1, we see that Jesus, the elect of God, he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Jesus shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. God the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto his Son, and it is appointed unto each one of us to stand before the throne of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will all have to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a picture of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 with eyes like flames of fire and a sword, two-edged sword proceeding from his mouth. It's symbolism. But you get the picture there. You're standing before Jesus and you won't be able to hide anything when you stand before Jesus whom God has committed all judgment to. With those eyes like fire he will see into your heart. And the sword, the two-edged sword penetrating, dividing asunder Soul and spirit, marrow and joint, everything laid bare before the one to whom we must give an account. The Lord Jesus Christ, the lowly servant who came into this world to suffer, to bleed, to die on a cross for sinners. All judgment has been committed to him. No longer will he be the suffering servant 
when he comes again, he will come as the judge of all who have ever lived. To some he will say, Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. They will be the ones who believe that on their behalf, Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to God and one which they did not themselves live. Also, they will have believed that Jesus carried their sins, carried them and carried them away, uh, their sins away at the cross. Carried them away as far as the east is from the west, never to be seen again. For them, the justice of God was satisfied in the finished work of their Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and their faith will have been seen in born-again lives lived for the glory of God. However, to all who have not trusted in Jesus, to them the judge will say, Depart from me, ye cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's the justice of God. In closing, what you need to understand, take away with you and act upon, is that Christ Jesus was chosen by his Father to come into the world to save sinners like you and like me. Therefore, believe in Jesus as your Saviour from sin. Go home justified having believed justified in God's sight, not in your sight, anyone else's sight, but justified in God's sight, having believed in his Son, his beloved Son, in whom he delights. Go home with no fear of the judgment, which is surely to come. And even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.